1: Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast.
2: Hello you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 139th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host Diane. And this is Denise. And on today's episode we are bringing you a location that's in Maryland, Annapolis to be more specific. And this was suggested to us by our listener Amanda Prouty and she will be joining us a little bit on the show to share some of her experiences about this house. And Stephen Pappas was our research assistant on this one. Before we get into that, we'd love to have you guys check out our website, historyghostbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historyghostbump at
0: gmail.com.
2: Denise, we had a great meetup with the executive producers on Sunday. Oh, yes, we did. We actually went for over two hours, almost two and a half. It was a great time. So shout outs to all of you who were able to join us. I think we had about 12 or 13. Just a couple of announcements. The place where we keep our feed for the podcast has now made it so that we can upload automatically the audio to YouTube. So this weekend, I got everything set up and got all the audio uploaded over there. So now if you go to our YouTube channel, you can listen or view or whatever you do when you're on YouTube, the actual podcast there as well. I've sent in everything to iHeartRadio. Haven't heard back from them. Probably will this next week. So you should be able to find the podcast there soon. I know other people have asked us about Spotify. I think they're a little bit more picky about who they take. So not sure if we'll get up there. But if there's a place where you would like to hear it that we're not, let us know. And we will make every effort to get there. Also, we've gotten a lot of great suggestions from you guys. Our list is going to keep us going for at least a couple years where we're at right now. (laughs) And I know that we're going to just keep getting more. What's great about that is you guys really love where you're from. We get so many great suggestions, places we've never heard of or places that a lot of people don't think of when it comes to hauntings. So keep them coming. Just be patient. We will get to them eventually. Thanks to our executive producers, Denise, we have been able to get some upgrades to our programming and I'm going back and remastering our earlier show. So if you weren't able to listen to show number one or two, three, four, go back and listen to them now. I think you'll think that they're a little bit better. They're not perfect, but they're a lot better than they were. Unfortunately, when we first started, we had really cheap equipment, really cheap programs. Didn't really know what we were doing. So now that we've learned a lot and been able to upgrade thanks to you guys, we're going to try to get the audio so that it's up at that level as well. During the virtual meetup, Denise announced a little project that she's been working on. For those of you who join us on ghost tours when we visit different cities or if you come here and we go on a ghost tour with you, we wanted to have a little something special that we could share with people and give to you guys as a way of marking that kind of occasion. And so, Denise, tell them about the pins.
0: We had an exclusive History Ghost Bump lapel pin made up. It is our logo. Like Diane said, you get those as a gift from us to you for coming on a meetup. That's the only way you can get it. They're not for sale. They're not for any other giveaway. So hopefully we'll be seeing more of you on meetups. And if you've already done a ghost tour with us, it is retroactive. You will be getting your pins.
2: And you said that plural, Denise. So does that mean they get a pin for every single ghost tour they do with us?
0: They absolutely do. So every time they come they get a pin so they can start kind of getting like their notches in their belt
2: now there's got to be a way to display these pins so denise created something for that as well now this is something that anybody can purchase you don't have to just go to a ghost tour to get a hold of it tell them about that denise
0: i came up with the idea to have lanyards that people could wear so This is a great lanyard. It has the history ghost bump words and a bunch of little ghosts dropping their history books on it. It's a great standalone lanyard for anybody to wear, but it goes hand in hand with the new meetup incentive. So for every little ghost on there, you can put your pins once you earn those pins. So when you're at a meetup, people can look over and say, oh, they've been on two, three, four, 20 meetups with them. So it's kind of fun.
2: And it's a black and white lanyard, so the colored lapel pins really pop on it. And how much is it, Denise? The
0: lanyard is $5 plus shipping and handling. And of course, the pin is free because that's a gift.
2: So we'll get a page set up on the website where you can do that. Thanks, Christina, for the email and also want to send a shout out to IH8YH over on Twitter. We were talking a lot about the Battle of Assam and this listener lives over in Germany and so he shared a bunch of pictures of a lot of the locations over there that were involved in both of the World Wars and what those buildings look like now and even a crater that was over there as well. And Bob, who's our Oddities editor, actually had pictures that he shared with us. They're over in the Spooktacular crew. I also put them in the show notes for the Battle of the Somme that... People feature the Loch crater so that you guys can see just how immense that is. There's people standing along the outer edge of it and they look like ants.
0: Yes and so thank you Bob because I know when we were doing the show I had asked if anybody had access to that. I would love to see because my brain couldn't wrap around how big that would be and you showed me a visual and my brain still can't wrap around it. It's just immense like Diane said.
2: Denise, we got a comment over on the website from another woman named Denise, and she asked about your accent, and where is it from? I have no idea. (laughs) I know, I responded back to her, I said, well, Denise is from Utah, so there you go. We're not sure where she got the accent from, but we think it's cute.
0: And it is funny, I don't really think I have an accent, but enough people ask me probably about once a month or so I get asked about my accent, so it's something there. Another really fun thing happened as I went to work one morning and I get into work. I log into my computer right about 5.30 a.m. And I opened up my emails to see what there might be. There was a email in there with the subject line that said HGB. And I thought, well, that's weird. HGB is like History Goes Bump. So I opened it and it was for History Goes Bump. It was from a fellow cast member in New York named Tom. Hi, Denise. Sorry to bother you at your day job. I'm a fellow cast member working with Disney Interactive in New York. I recently came across the History Goes Bump podcast, and it's wonderful. I'm able to listen through the day while building out media plans and have really enjoyed every episode so far. I'm a big fan of The Haunted as well as a former radio professional. I was with Radio Disney for 17 years before switching to digital, so this podcast is right up my alley. I'm now listening to the Eastern State Penitentiary Show and you alluded to working at Disney, so I found your name on the podcast website and took a chance you would be in the Global Address book. I have been to ESP for their Halloween event and highly recommend it. I just wanted to pass on my thanks to you and Diane. Kudo and thanks again, Tom. I had emailed Tom back and just let him know, or if you're listening to this episode, Tom, I just, it was a really great way to start the day because it just made me smile first thing in the morning before I'd even finished my cup of coffee. So thank you for the email.
2: We want to welcome to the spectacular crew, Rhonda. Hey, Rhonda. Helena. Hey, Helena. Brittany. Hi, Brittany. Heather. Hey, Heather. And Patricia. Hi, Patricia. All right, Denise, you ready to go check out the Bryce house? I am. Let's do it.
1: History Goes Bump is entirely listener supported. Become an executive producer for as little as $1 a month. Get listed on the website and invited to exclusive virtual meetups. For $5 a month, you get that and exclusive bonus content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. For $10 and above a month, you'll get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump or you can support us via PayPal. Click the support the show tab at historygoesbump.com for more information.
2: History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. Welcome to this moment in oddity.
0: On the border of Missouri and Oklahoma is a peculiar phenomenon known as the Ozark spook light. This spook light was first seen over a century ago by the Native Americans walking along the Trail of Tears. The light is described as a glowing ball of supernatural energy that gives off colors ranging in hues from orange to blue to green. Some witnesses claim that it pulsates and changes colors, and others say that the light appears as a cluster, rather than just one single orb. The orb is between the size of a baseball and a basketball, and it spins down the center of the road at high speeds. Some claim it is almost like a lantern swinging back and forth. The light usually appears between 10 and midnight at night. No investigators, including the Army Corps of Engineers, has been able to identify why the light is appearing. It is not reflecting headlights, nor some form of swamp gas because it is unaffected by wind or rain. The mythical Will of the Wisp has been suggested, but the light is too bright for that. So what is the story behind the spook light? If we look to science, it could be an electrical atmospheric charge. Deep below the Earth's surface, rocks grind and shift and electrical charge is created. The spook light resides in an area where there is a fault line where four earthquakes occurred during the 18th century. A more interesting story claims this light represents the spirits of two Native American youth who had fallen in love. But the woman's father forbade the marriage and the two jump off a nearby cliff when the father sent his men to keep them from eloping. Another story claims that a family lived in a cabin nearby and when the father, who was a miner, was away, the family was killed and the light is his lantern as he looks for his lost family. Some claim an Osage chief was decapitated here and this light is his spirit. Whatever the true story is behind the Ozark spook light, it certainly is odd. scared yet? Boo!
2: (laughs) This Day in History This Day in History is by Richard Schaefer. On this day, July 28, in 1864, the Battle of Ezra Church took place. It was part of the Atlanta Campaign of the Civil War. General William Sherman led his troops, the Union Army of the Tennessee, against General John Hood and his Confederate troops, the Army of Tennessee. Two prior attempts had been made to break Atlanta from the grasp of the Union Army, but had failed. General Sherman sent General Oliver Howard to destroy the Macon and Western Railroad, which was one of the only remaining rail lines into Atlanta. General Hood sent Lieutenant General Stephen Lee and his troops to stop the Union advance. Lee's army attacked at Ezra Church. The ensuing engagement went poorly for Confederate forces, as they thought despite possessing smaller numbers, they could surprise Union forces. Union forces had erected barricades using the church's pews and logs. Unbeknownst to Lee, he was not attacking the Union flank, but actually the Union center. Lee's army was pushed back several times, finally retiring after losing 3,000 men. Union losses totaled 630 men. This would later open the door to Sherman's march to the sea. An important note to make about this affair would be the actions of 24-year-old Sergeant Ernst R. Torgler of the 37th Ohio Infantry, who saved his commanding officer from capture. He would later receive the Medal of Honor for his bravery.
1: History Goes Bump Podcast.
0: At the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay sits the home of the United States Naval Academy, the city of Annapolis, which claims to have more original structures dating back to the 18th century than any other city in America. One of those structures is the Bryce House, a house that exudes a malevolent energy that might be carrying over from the family that once inhabited the residence. Tales of skeletons and walls and other legends have led to claims that the mansion is haunted. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the Bryce
2: House. The capital of the state of Maryland, Annapolis, is known as the Athens of America. The city was originally a small seaport that held the distinction of being a colonial capital, so this goes back to the origins of the country. Annapolis was originally named Providence when the Puritans first settled there in 1649. And Denise, usually Providence refers to God or heaven. Interesting that they would call Annapolis that. They had high hopes for the city, apparently. It sounds like it. The proprietary colony was owned by Lord Baltimore. Hmm, I wonder if they named Baltimore after him, you think? Yeah. <laughs> and the name Providence was changed to Anne Arundel's Town after his wife. Royal Governor Sir Francis Nicholson changed the name to its current name of Annapolis in honor of Princess Anne, heir to the throne. When Anne became queen, she charted the seaport as a city, and this happened in 1708. It is her royal badge that features a crown over the entwined thistle of Scotland and Tudor Rose of England that is depicted on the official flag of the city of Annapolis.
0: Sir Francis Nicholson designed the city in a similar grid as that used in many European capitals, which incorporated circles with radiating streets that would draw the focus to certain structures. An example of this would be St. Anne's Episcopal Church, which is the spiritual center of Annapolis. The State House is another example. This historic location is where George Washington tendered his resignation as General of the Continental Army after the Revolutionary War was over. Washington so liked the design of Annapolis that he asked Pierre L'Enfant to incorporate it as the design of Washington, D.C. The architecture found throughout the city is beautiful, and as mentioned earlier, many historic properties have been saved and restored, from the William Packer House that is home to one of Maryland's four signees to the Declaration of Independence to the James Bryce House.
2: James Bryce was born in Anne Arundel County, Maryland, in 1746 to Sarah and John Bryce. He would go on to become a lawyer in Annapolis, as well as a farmer and a politician. James married Juliana Jennings in 1781, and the couple had six children, Julia, Sarah, Anne, Thomas, Elizabeth, James, and John. Sarah died shortly before her first birthday. And Denise, for this reason, it was almost like she didn't exist, at least according to Wikipedia, because on Wikipedia it said that they had five children, but when I looked under... There's a place where you can find bios on all the governors of America. And when I looked under it for Maryland, it said that he had six children. I went, huh, Wikipedia says five. That's weird. So I had to go through the census reports again and see if I could find how many children he had because I didn't know. And Sarah popped up and she wasn't one of the names listed on Wikipedia. And when I went, huh, how weird that she wasn't mentioned, I noticed that she didn't even make it to her first birthday. So I'm wondering if that's why she just kind of was forgotten. I'd hate to think that, but...
0: Well, it seems like back in those days, they did that a lot because so many, the infant mortality rate was so high that a lot of times when we go through graveyards, it just says baby. Like no name, no nothing. So at least she had a name.
2: That's true. A lot of them, it just says infant. Yeah. Those are the worst. At least some of them have the last name. So it would be like Bryce Infant rather than just infant. In 1782, he was elected as the mayor of Annapolis and he held that position for one year. He served as mayor of the city once again for a year in 1787. George Platter was the sixth governor of Maryland, and during his time, Maryland ceded the land that would become Washington, D.C. He died in office in 1792 after only serving for three months, and James Bryce took over the governorship, in which his only act of governance was to convene an election for the new governor. Let's imagine that, oh, look, the governor's passed away, we're going to promote you to that position, and your only job is basically to find your replacement. Actually, that sounds like corporate America. (laughs) I was going to say, that's kind of like, you know what? We're going to give you severance, and now you're going to train the person that's going to take your job. Because I've known several people in that position. So, see, this goes way, way back. Oh, yes. He was a prominent figure in Maryland's history, even serving as a president elector both times voting for President George Washington. In addition, he served as treasurer for the city of Annapolis from 1784 until his death in 1801.
1: This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's
2: got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'.
1: Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.
0: James Bryce's father, John, began construction on a Georgian-style mansion that was completed by James between 1767 and 1775. This home would become known as the Bryce House. James Bryce kept a detailed logbook of the construction, which later provided details to historians. The cornerstone of the house, marked with the words, The Beginning, was laid on the first day of construction. According to the logbook, the construction took six years and material included 326,000 bricks and 90,800 shingles. Total cost to build was $4,014 in Maryland colonial currency. When finished, the James Bryce House was considered one of the most elegant of the Annapolis five-part mansions, and it was the largest. Some of the interiors have been attributed to William Buckland.
2: When they talk about it being a five-part mansion, it basically is supposed to be like a plantation house, only it's in an urban setting. So that makes it very unique. And so one of the reasons why it is so amazing to look at is because it is this bigger construction and it's up on an elevated area. So it just looks more imposing. For people who don't know, William Buckland was an English craftsman. And so obviously it was his carvings that are seen inside the house. The Historic Annapolis website describes the home in this way. The first floor of the central block is laid out similarly to a nearby house built by James Bryce's father with a stair hall just inside the entrance and three adjoining public rooms. The main staircase is crafted of rich mahogany. The drawing room is the home's largest and most lavishly decorated space featuring a plaster cornice and paneling, a carved mantle and overmantel, and interior window shutters. A hidden service stair, similar again to the one in the house where James Bryce grew up, provided access to the second floor where private family chambers are arranged to the front and rear of a transverse passage. And, Denise, I found some pictures, interior pictures, at the Library of Congress featuring a first-floor ballroom and also one of the fireplaces with those intricate carvings and such. It's just a gorgeous piece, as you can see there. Very, very nice. What's interesting about the interior is it's not symmetrical. It has an offset central hallway and it extends halfway into the house. There's a parlor that occupies two bays on the south side and the ballroom occupies three bays on the north side. The ballroom in this house is among the largest of its kind. Oh, that's very cool. So that was something to brag about there. And that ballroom fireplace that I was just talking about is a direct copy of a design from Abraham Swan's style book, British Architect of 1745. So you've got a lot of the English influence in this house. There's four bedrooms that are up on that second floor. The end pavilions contain the kitchen and servants' quarters. And there was also a carriage house. And the house is set up, it's kind of this, it's like a long house. And then it has these wings that come off of it. And they're about one and a half stories, those wings that are coming off of it. And when you look at the chimneys on the outside, there's two of them, and they bookend the main block of the house. The brick construction is a fieldstone type of foundation, and the street and garden facades have a bunch of oversized bricks. So it has a really unique look to it. And when they did a lot of the reconstructions and refurbishing, they based it on some photographs that were taken in 1853. So that's what you're going to see if you were ever inside the house. They tried to keep everything original when it came to the plasterwork, glass, woodwork, and flooring.
0: Several dignitaries visited the house, including George Washington, Marquis de Lafayette, and James Madison. Thomas inherited the house and lived there as a bachelor. The house remained in the possession of the family until 1874 and was eventually purchased in the 1920s by St. John's College as a resident for school faculty. And just looking at those dates, that's a very long time for a house to stay in one family's possession. In 1953, the Wall family took control of the property and began restorations on the home. The Bryce House was added to the National Registry of Historic Places on April 15, 1970. In 2014, the city of Annapolis purchased the property from the Masons, who had used it as a headquarters for many years. Now it is the historic Annapolis office headquarters.
2: During the restoration, peculiar things were found within the walls of the house. The Bryce family had black servants, many of whom came from their own superstitions and beliefs from their regions of origin. Those beliefs included hoodoo and voodoo.
0: Every time we say that in a podcast, I always think of Dr. Facilier
2: from Princess and the Frog. Who happens to be your favorite villain, so no wonder. Yes. Part of the practices with those spiritual beliefs is the use of talismans for protection several of these talismans, which also included crosses, were found in the walls. And I also saw another story that said a lot of them were found in the flooring. And there was like hundreds of them in the flooring, which was kind of interesting in just one place, as if they'd been quickly hidden for some reason. No one is sure if they were meant to serve as protection or as a curse on the family. And apparently these talismans are supposed to be able to steer the life of whoever you want them to. So I'm not sure if that was their purpose. Something more sinister was found as well. The skeleton of one of the servants girls was in the wall down in the basement and she was found during renovations. And rumors have circulated from that time that the Bryce boys had something to do with her death. Many think she was walled up while still alive.
0: Oh, jeez!
2: This theory was tested by Taps, who many of you, if you don't know that name, that's basically the ghost hunters. They put an opera singer within the wall and they tested out to see if it was soundproof. And sure enough, it was. They could not hear her singing behind the wall. The poor opera singer,
0: I would be like, okay, you're for sure going to let me out, right?
2: Yeah, I don't think I would go for that. We're going to play a little interview that we did with Amanda Prouty. She shared some of her thoughts about the Bryce House because she'd been there, at least to the outside of it, Denise. She wasn't interested in going inside just because it has that kind of an oppressive feeling to it. Yeah, and she said even
0: though she's been in other haunted places and and worked there within her life, that one she would not even touch with a 10-foot pole.
2: And when we say she's been in other haunted places, that would include the place that she lives right now. She lives in Salem, Massachusetts, so go figure. But she has a ghost named George living with her. Interesting thing, Denise, after we did our interview with her, in which George may have been playing around with things because we had a really hard time hooking up. So this sound recording is not going to be the best. I hate to Skype with cell phones because the sound quality is so bad. But that was our only option because we we could not get the Skype to hook up. We had her perfectly for five minutes and then we could not get it no matter what we tried. Darn George. But she'd said she's taken to calling this ghost in her house George and she didn't know why and then she even started tacking on Alan at the end of his name. Well, I think she was working on a project for school. And when she was doing that project, because it was in history, she was able to go back and look at the archives for the city. And back then, they used to write the name of the owners of the buildings on the actual buildings, on the schematics. And sure enough, on the building that she lives in was the name George Allen. That's very freaky and
0: weird just in and of itself.
2: Yeah, I mean, she didn't say that she was psychic or anything, so... Uh, When she told me that in an email, I went, so I wonder if he whispered it in your ear at some point, or how would she know that? Isn't that interesting? Anyway, she's going to share her impressions here and some of the haunting tales that she's heard about it.
1: And there are so many legends. The skeleton that they found in the wall, Mm -hmm. we don't know who it was. There are stories in Annapolis that it was a servant that one of the rice boys impregnated. There was a version that it's a servant that one of the rice boys raped and she was going to tell. Oh, wow. Um, That it was a woman who rejected one of the the Bryce boys. That it was a physically deformed member of the family.
2: Interesting. We know
1: it's a woman, and we know it's a teenager. That's about all we know.
2: So were these Bryce boys bad guys?
1: They were naughty boys. Yes, apparently they were quite naughty. And part of it was that, you know, there was just no discipline for them. They were allowed to get away with whatever they wanted. And it was a very... Power hungry family, from what I understand. And so Maryland makes a joke that we're the second most corrupt state in the union, that's Illinois. So, I mean, there's a lot of corruption going on in Maryland in the early early years, especially. And the Bryces was kind of at the center of that force. Interesting. Um, but when you look at the Bryce Mansion, it is maybe three blocks away from the state house. I mean, it is in the heart of downtown Annapolis. And even in the daytime, it just looks really ominous and freaky. And it's well-maintained. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful house. But next to compared to the other mansions in downtown Annapolis, people just cross. I mean, I, I can't tell you how I many people have seen cross the street when they see the Bryce Mansion come out.
2: So they don't even want to be just, right in front of it. No. Wow.
1: No. People avoid it. The Bryce House, it's, it's like Rose Red from The ceiling Thing. Okay, you know, people go in; they don't come out. Kind of idea. It just gives people the willies, even though it's so beautifully maintained. I don't think you could pay me money to go in.
2: I was going to ask: Have you been inside of it?
1: No, I haven't. And like, it is open for tours occasionally. Okay, not anywhere near as often as the Paca House, for example, which is. Just down the street. But, like, well, just, oh. So I was on a ghost with my father. And I was standing on the edge of the curb. Like, I did not want to be anywhere near the house. I was so uncomfortable.
2: Interesting.
1: Mind you, at this point, I'm, like, 31 years old. And I'm, like, trying to hide behind my dad. (laughs) I was just, I was so uncomfortable and you can even tell that the the tour guy was uncomfortable because he was staying on the edge of the curb and Maryland is not known for its good drivers so it's just this incredibly oppressive energy and then when they found all those voodoo talismans these protective voodoo talismans Mm -hmm. um, in the kitchen they were like something nasty was going on here something really ugly was going on here for that many protective talismans to be in one place Maryland was one of the first State south of the border, if you will, south of Mason Dixon Line, to actually emancipate slaves. Now, okay. when Maryland emancipated slaves, they had forty thousand people still not on- shackles right when the Civil War broke out. Okay, uh, which is for a state the size of Maryland, that's pretty significant.
2: Sure, forty thousand.
1: Yeah. So the Bryce house, because it was a mansion as opposed to a plantation, they only had a handful, um, probably five or six, with carriage men, a steward, housekeeper, cook, things like that. But you never hear about the male servants, you only hear about the female servants. There's a lot of focus on them because they would have been the ones who created the Voodoo Talisman. Voodoo Rudy, is very female centric. And of course, the Bryce mansion is right next to a crossroads.
2: I was just going to ask how close it was.
1: Oh, it's it's pretty much right on the corner, yeah. When you see pictures of the Bryce Mansion. So it's a very long house, and then it has these two wings. So it almost looks like it's reaching out for you, which is never fun. It's just not a good feeling.
2: Especially if it's oppressive, um, you don't want it to envelope you.
1: Yeah. And a lot of people have said that they've seen one of the Bryce boys. Upstairs, looking down at people on the road, I thought I saw a shirt in the window, but I couldn't be sure if it was a streetlight or a shirt. To be honest with you, it's definitely. Um, I mean, even just thinking about it makes my chest constrict. Just, yeah. just so creepy.
2: So that's a very oppressive type of house, then. If it's making you have that kind of feeling just talking about it,
1: yeah. And you know, I mean, as a historian, I'm just I'm so curious, and I love architecture, and you know, I love to kind of explore her Annapolis because unlike. Little Salem, it didn't suffer a great fire, so a lot of the buildings are still pretty original, mm-hmm. and also it has brick, and not timber, so that kind of helped One time I was exploring, and I actually came across a Bryce Mansion. Didn't mean to go anywhere near it, and I was like, Oh I oh, I need to get away from here." You know, <laughs> move turn the slightly. corner as quickly as I possibly can, and I always turn the corner away from the house, never down the other street. You know, I never go. I never turn the corner like I'm going back towards the house. I always, I'll take the longer route then if I have to.
0: No, are there offices or anything in the Bryce house now, or is it empty except just maintained on the outside?
1: So it's it's maintained very well on the outside, and um, it is open very sporadically for tours. I believe it has some furnishings on the inside. It's really hard to tell because it's so dark. The windows are so dark that you. And it's also kind of up on a little hill, so you can't really see through the windows on the street. So you can't make out if there are any furnishings inside or not. Whereas, you know, in other houses in both Annapolis and Salem, they're not up on hills, so you can kind of see what's on the inside. But yeah, this is actually up on some kind of mound of land, so it's even taller than it really is just by being up on that hill.
0: Many people think the Bryce House is the most haunted place in the city of Annapolis. The fact that the house sits at a crossroads in the city has added to the mystique. Amanda also shared with us that talismans and crosses were found beneath the cobblestones of the crossroads. Yeah, so not only did they find the talismans within the Bryce house, but they also found them outside of the Bryce house.
2: And we've discussed crossroads previously on the show. And a lot of you who are familiar with paranormal things and legends and lore, you know that the devil is who you meet at the crossroads. It's supposed to be where evil can be. Even the cross, the threshold of your house where your door is, can be considered a crossroad. This house is right there on the corner, as Amanda described. And right in that area, they found some of these things. So it, it makes you wonder why. This is when you're going back and looking at where a place was built. What was on that land before? This is on a mound as Amanda described it. Is this just a hill that was there or did they build on top of a mound that was made a mound for a specific
0: reason? I don't know. Because after seeing those mounds in Illinois, that was very much a part of some native cultures. So,
2: of course, that's just our theorizing. Don't know that there's any fact or anything behind that, but it just does make you wonder. That's U.S.
0: history according to Denise and Diane. (laughs) One guide working for one of the ghost tours in the city claims to have witnessed at least 15 different entities in the home. People have often reported seeing the full-bodied apparition of James Bryce in the house. These sightings date back all the way to his wife, who claimed to have seen him after he died. He is seen wearing black period clothing with long white hair. Sightings continued when the house was used by St. John's College. As hard as it is to believe, professors of all people detailed their supernatural experiences from the house in interviews and articles.
2: And I searched and searched and I could not find any of those articles anywhere. So I'm not sure that they actually exist. But if they do, I find that pretty interesting. For This would have been back, say, in the 1920s. So you'd have professors writing in the 1920s that they were having supernatural experiences in this house. Not something you would normally think would happen. No, not at all. Another spirit rumored to haunt the location is James' son, Thomas, who had become the owner after him. The story goes that he was a very well-liked man and that his servants really liked him. But there must have been one that didn't because he was bludgeoned to death in the home and they think it was his valet because he suddenly disappeared right after it happened. I'm surprised. People now claim to see a spirit that resembles Thomas walking through the house. On occasion, witnesses have seen Thomas and his valet reenacting the murder in the library, which might be why people say, I bet it was the valet. I mean, that's like sort of watching a
0: tape and then saying, hmm, I wonder who did it. <laughs>
2: exactly. It's, it's like ghost CCTV, right? While it is argued that the following aspect of the story is embellishment, it is creeping nonetheless. Some people claim the ghost is clearly bleeding from the head. Ew.
0: There are the standard claims of cold spots and things moving on their own, but one apparition seems to be more terrifying than the rest, and that is the ghost of the crying girl. This spirit is believed to belong to the servant girl who was walled up in the house. She was given a proper burial after her remains were discovered, but she does not seem to be at rest. The sounds of screams and crying can be heard coming from the basement in the evenings. Reports say that it sounds like someone screaming for their life. The cries are so realistic that police have responded to calls about it and found no cause for the screams. There is a lady in white here, Denise. Good, because we can't do a podcast without Our Lady
2: in White showing up. No one is sure who she is, but she is usually seen wailing by the ballroom mantle. At least she picked one of the more beautiful spots in the house. Apparently, lighting candles in the room causes her to vanish. Whenever tour guides are asked about the Bryce house, they mostly clam up, not wanting to talk about the spirits there or the malevolent energy within the place. So these are your standard history guides, and they don't want to talk about the ghosts that are there. When people are that reluctant to talk about it, you're probably pretty sure that something is going on there.
0: Exactly, because the people who want to talk about it, they make everything haunted. Did the Bryce boys do something unthinkable? Was there a reason why voodoo talismans were hidden around the house? Or did these artifacts bring something evil to this location? Have spirits from the family decided to remain at their former home? Is the Bryce house haunted? That is for you to decide.
2: Well, just based on Amanda's feelings and some of the other things that we have seen here and read, I don't know. Very possible. Our next episode is going to feature the Washoe Club, which is in Nevada. This was suggested to us by two of our listeners, Tara Williams Case and Jenny Justine. So it must be a pretty good location to have two people ask us about it. I would think so. We also have some iTunes reviews to share with everybody. The first one is from Sarah five stars awesome show i listen to this all day at work and it makes sitting at a computer so much less monotonous i love the combination of history and haunts definitely worth the listen well thanks so much sarah and glad you take us to work with you aj blick five stars love it i love this podcast i listen all the time i love the mix of oddity history and spookery oh i love that word spookery We're i like spookery use that. too you ladies do a great job. Thank you so much for making my workday tolerable. There we are, Denise, making everybody's workday that much better. We go to work a lot. We do. Dang, I'm exhausted. we're overworked. <laughs> and spook Dan Terry, five stars, outstanding ghost host. And for people who have binge listened to all the shows, you will probably recall that Dan sent me a pile of books that he had written and just fabulous things there. Eventually, we're going to get you on this show, Dan. Without history, a haunting is just a campfire story. These two ladies do an incredible job of getting the history and the reasons for a haunting together and make a complete story. No, it's not Vincent Price, but the happy, lighthearted back and forth makes it seem less like a lecture and more like friends sitting around and talking. If you're a fan of history and ghosts, this is the best one I've found. Well, and we we don't really have the laugh down for Vincent Price either. I'm not even going to try, but Diane probably will. (laughs) I don't think I'll try either, but our voiceover guy does a pretty good impression. When I asked him if he could do it and he did it, I was like, that'll work. So thank you, Ricky, for your impression of Vincent Price. And yeah, you know, we talk about some not so lighthearted subjects, Denise. Obviously, if we're talking about Gosler's death. Yeah, and most of
0: it is not... A pleasant, light peacefully went with families surrounding them holding their hand.
2: No, no. Usually it's not grandpa coming back and saying, hey, thanks for being there when I fell asleep and didn't wake up again and everything is nice. And usually there's dismemberment, murder, and other things involved. So scandal and... Yeah, so we try to to make it so it's not so bad. We want to thank you guys for joining us for this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, Allison Schneider and Keisha Rachel. And I hope I said that right. Thanks.
0: Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting. And join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us.
1: societies rise and societies fall when the time comes one society steps forward to build a better future The Wicked Library Kettle Whistle Radio Night Story Podcast Prog Watch Red Horse Radio The Lift
0: History Goes Bump listen the m writing podcast society 13 rebuilding society one podcast at a time